0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I am Director of ECFR and this week we are looking at a major ruling of Poland's Constitutional Court, which we are told could shape the foundations of the European Union itself. I'm happy to welcome, yet again, an all-star cast to make sense of these issues. Down the line from Warsaw, we have Piotr Buras, who is the head of ECFR's Warsaw office and a senior policy fellow at ECFR and a well-known expert on Germany and EU politics, as well as Polish politics. And um, down the line from Berlin, we're joined by... Piotr's counterpart in Germany, Jana Pulierin, who is the head of the ECFR office there, as well as also being a senior policy fellow at ECFR. And she can not only talk to us about how Europeans are looking at this, but also some of the connections between the Polish Constitutional Court's decision and and one by the German Constitutional Court last year. The reasons for this strong German connection, I think, will become apparent once we start talking about it. Thank you very much for joining me. Piotr, why don't we start with you? Tell us about the, the background to this ruling. What did the court say? How did it come about?
1: Yeah. So, in in brief, to start with um, the Polish Constitutional Court is not a court uh, like any other. It is a court which is politically controlled by the Polish government and uh, which is at the heart of this dispute between uh, Poland and uh, the European institutions since twenty fifteen. And this is important to know because, of course, this uh, this court this court's decision issued uh, last week. Uh, and shock waves across Europe, but we we cannot treat it like a you know a decision taken by an independent court. But in an essence, this verdict is a response to years-long uh, dispute between uh, Poland, the Polish government, and uh, European institutions, the Commission, especially, and the Court of Justice, but also the European Council. And two, and it's more specifically, to two verdicts which the Court of Justice of the European Union issued in July, which require um, the Polish government to introduce uh, far-reaching changes to the disciplinary system system. system for judges and to the judiciary um, altogether, um, because the Court of Justice uh, came uh, in those verdicts to the conclusion that the Polish um, judicial system does not fulfill the uh, principle um, of judicial independence, that uh, Poland is in violation of the EU rules regarding the principle enshrined in the Article 19 of the EU Treaty, which is uh, the principle of uh, efficient legal protection, uh, which all EU member states are obliged to. And uh, the Polish Constitutional Court declared that the Article uh, 19 of the EU Treaty and its interpretation by the European Court of Justice is not in line with the Polish Constitution uh, and thus, uh, Poland or the Polish government does need to respect the verdicts of the European Court of Justice uh, regarding uh, judicial matters, and this is basically the essence of of what happened. What uh, political uh, remark on that? Or, or analytical remark on that is this, that, of course, the, the Polish government tries to defend the judicial reforms which uh, have been implemented in Poland over the last few years by means of creating such a constitutional barrier against the implementation of the verdicts of the Court of Justice of the European Union. But this verdict, in fact, does not have any particular relevance from the point of view of the EU law, because uh, what the EU institutions and what the EU member states also are really interested in is that EU verdicts or the verdicts of the Court of Justice European Union are implemented. And the reason why a EU member state does not implement those verdicts, if it is ignorance, if it is uh, lack of interest, lack of political will, or a decision by a constitutional court is actually not relevant. This verdict is, in the first place, a very strong political signal that the the Polish government is uh, putting into question a fundamental article uh, of the EU treaty saying that it, it violates the Polish constitution, which is, of course, not true because uh, the polish gov the polish constitution also guarantees judicial independence and and rule of law and uh, its legal importance from the perspective of the of the eu is it's much more limited so people are saying that
0: if poland doesn't back down and change this that this could mean that polexit is um is in is inevitable because the primacy of EU law is so fundamental to, to the whole idea of, of European legal construction. You've written an article saying that's not very likely to happen, a Polexit.
1: Yes, I mean, I think it is important to understand that a Poland has actually three options if you take this uh, constitutional court decision at face value. Poland can try to change the EU treaties. And more specifically, this Article 19 of the EU treaty guaranteeing the mm, efe- efficient legal protection. Yes, yeah, so that's mm, not going to happen. But that, that's go- not going to happen. Poland can also change the Polish constitution so that it is compatible with the EU treaties or the EU treaty as it is now. But it's not going to happen either because there's no required majority in the Polish parliament. So, And the third option is uh, if you if you believe that there is a, fundamental conflict between the EU treaty and the uh, Polish constitution so you need to leave the European Union but of course this is not what's what's going um, to happen and i think this and that's not going to
0: happen because you
1: said 80% of poles want to be in the European Or Union. even more than than that and and i i think you know this is not even the intention at the moment at least of the Polish government the Polish government doesn't want to to leave the European Union which actually creates an even bigger problem for the eu because um, you know the the united kingdom left the european union and uh, the problem was <laughs> kind of solved uh, of um, a country trying to change the european uh, the rules of the european union from within the Polish government wants to, uh, wants the European institutions and EU member states uh, to accept a completely different vision of the European Union that it is enshrined in the EU treaties. More specifically, the European Union, which allows all EU member states to shape their judiciary systems in a way which can, uh, but doesn't have to respect the principle of uh, judicial independence. And then the European Union, in which there is no single institution, no arbiter, ultimate arbiter, which could assess if this fundamental principle of judicial independence is protected in the EU member states. Okay.
0: So essentially, what you're saying is that in, in this article, you kind of wrote that the biggest danger is Poland stays in and that the EU therefore accepts the kind of erosion of its of its legal order and I would like to talk much more about that and also what can be done about it but before we do that it would be worth going to Berlin for a bit because you know a few months ago there was a big fuss because the German constitutional court in Karlsruhe issued a ruling that on the surface, sounds very similar to the Polish ruling. It stated that EU law does not have primacy over German law. Um, But nobody's talking about a a German exit at the moment, even though they're talking about a Pole exit. Um, Is this just the case of double standards, Jana, or is there a kind of fundamental difference between these two rulings?
2: So I think this is a very important conversation. So um, give me some time to explain this um, properly. First, maybe a little background on the German ruling from May 2020, because I guess not all our listeners might be familiar with it, and it becomes quite technical. So last year, the German Constitutional Court, the Bundesverfassungsgericht, um, decided in a landmark ruling about the compatibility of the European Central Bank's so-called public sector asset purchase program, long word, we call it PSPP, uh, with German constitutional law. Um, In brief, the German Constitutional Court said that with the establishment of the PSPP in 2015, the European Central Bank had by far exceeded its competences. But what is more, um, the German judges uh, further ruled that they are not bound by the judgment of the European Court of Justice, which had found the program um, to be lawful uh, two years prior to the German um, verdict. So why does that matter? Um, For the first time back then in the history of the EU, a national constitutional court rejected basically the ruling of the European Court of Justice on the basis of an ultra-virus infringement. And this made spectacular headlines a year ago. And a lot of people got very worried um, because they feared, and we had a discussion already back then, that the German ruling would pave the way for other national constitutional courts to challenge the European legal order and precisely the authority of the European Court of Justice, and that is exactly what is happening now. So the Polish claim uh, in the Polish discourse, the ruling of the they claim that the uh, the ruling of the German Constitutional Court is qualitatively comparable to what the Polish Constitutional Court has said. But and I want to state this clearly here. Um, I think we should not fall for this comparison because the Polish verdict is different and actually far worse than the German one. However, I think the German ruling clearly paved the way for this to happen in Poland, and we need to discuss this. So why is the Polish ruling different? And Piotr has um, alluded um, to this um, already. First of all, as Piotr has said, the Polish constitutional court is not independent. It is under the political influence of the Polish government um, and the Polish The court was tasked by the government to deliver this ruling. But there is another um, fundamental difference, I think. I think the Polish ruling rejects the primacy of European law as such, and that the German court has never done. To the contrary, the German ruling basically exceptionally classified a single secondary legal act of a special EU institution as ultra-virus, And it was questioning the way the European court had applied EU law, but it was never questioning the primacy of EU law. So the Polish ruling goes way further than that. And because of the ruling um, of the Polish um, court, the Polish government can now oppose basically any obligation that follows from European law. And that means the practical end of the EU as a community. Of law. So just to sum up, I think the Polish ruling has a completely different quality. The German ruling does not question the primacy of EU law, uh, but only um, says that the EU had acted outside its competences in a very specific, very limited field. And I think the German problem can actually be solved, and the Polish Maybe
0: can't. Well, let's talk about trying to solve the German problem. Obviously, what you say is the German um, script. The Polish foreign minister has has claimed that the German ruling is very uh, little different from uh, f- from the from the Polish one. He also says the French Constitutional Court has made similar rulings. So there is a a, a, a sense. Of that there are double standards going on, which the Polish government will push, I think, very hard in Central and Eastern Europe as part of its attempts to, to, to push back in the, in the kind of battle for public opinion. But in practice, Piotr, why don't you tell us where this leaves Poland's place in the EU? Because for a long time, there've been discussions about the rule of law in Poland. Germany, in particular, at various points, has talked about trying to to use different tools and um, you know we saw that when franz timmermans was vice president of the european commission he tried to to, to use eu mechanisms uh, to push back on that we've heard from from joseph Borrell, the EU's foreign policy chief that he said that that the eu will give a firm answer to the ruling and tell the country to abide, abide by the rules of the club but what can the eu actually do it's been remarkably powerless in the
1: face of, of challenges from both the Polish and the Hungarian governments in recent years? You know, I, I think the the European Union has enough instruments which can be used, uh, but uh, this is a matter of political determination on the part of the institutions and EU member states, because I wouldn't outsource, you know, the whole rule of law issue to the, the commission uh, only. But to start with, I think We have at least three instruments which are at the disposal of the European Commission at the moment. There are two obvious ones, and the one is an infringement procedure, a similar one to to, to the one initiated um, uh, against Germany for this cultural verdict. But of course, it it takes time. Mm -hmm. As we all know, um, we could expect a verdict maybe in a year or, or later there is a new mechanism the so called rule of law mechanism the european commission indicated that it is willing to trigger this mechanism which can lead to withdrawal or suspension for for certain payments from the eu budget even very big ones um, for a EU member state uh, which has violated uh, the principles of the rule of law with uh, negative consequences for the EU's uh, financial interests and this is a new instrument in place uh, since in January uh, it can be triggered but again it will take time and and its effect is, uh, is unclear uh, at the end there will be a political decision by the EU council uh, with a um, uh, qualified majority so uh, we will see how much you know, efficient it could be. but what, what really matters to Poland at the moment to the Polish government, but also to the Polish citizens is a third um, area in which uh, some action is expected and this is these are the negotiations on the uh, national recovery. Plan uh, worth more than 20 billion or 24 billion euro for 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 Poland in donations, and this is of immense importance for the Polish economic development, uh, for the also plans of the government uh, which have been already announced how to further develop the Polish economy, and here the European Commission has proved unwilling to to recommend adoption of this Polish national recovery plan by the EU Council. Uh, because of uh, real concerns about the state of the Polish uh, judiciary, uh, there are requirements that the, the EU member states should follow. Of course, the, the rule of law principles and Poland specifically has to uh, implement some country-specific recommendations from the from the European Semester. One of them is an improvement of the judicial independence, and and clearly, it has since the last. Uh, Uh, European semester uh, has not changed. And so the commission, I mean, has not improved. The the, the standards of the Polish judiciary have not improved, just in opposite, they have worsened because of also uh, most recently by this verdict of the constitutional court. So there is no reason basically for the European Commission to approve of this national recovery plan, uh, as long as uh, there is no improvement um, of the judicial standards in Poland and the the measure of this improvement and this is I think very important uh, in the current situation is actually would be uh, not the uh, I don't know cancellation or I don't know how that would be possible to do uh, of the verdict of the constitutional uh, court but rather the implementation of two verdicts which the court of justice issued in July Mm, and this is i think the strongest leverage the european commission can have at the moment in the in the talks with the polish government basically saying we will accept the national recovery plan only if there is a full implementation of these two verdicts uh, which are already there they are they are not theoretical this is it, you know every uh, each and every country of the european union is obliged to implement the the verdicts of the, of the court and i think here there is the strongest leverage the, the the european institutions have uh, when it comes to the enforcement of the of the eu law but i also think uh, the last thing i want to say is is the that i think this is not just up to the commission to act. And I think this is extremely important yeah. that also the EU member states uh, become much more vocal, not in their criticism about what's going on in Poland, but, but in the defense of the Court of Justice of the European Union, uh, of its role, of its uh, relevance as a central EU institution, in, indispensable for the European Union to to function, and I think this is really important. And paradoxically, uh, this Polish um, uh, verdict of the Constitutional Court provides the EU member states uh, with the op- opportunity to do so uh, in a way which you know which is much easier for them to do than uh, than it it was in the past, because they can they don't they don't need to say that the That they believe that uh, the situation of judiciary in Poland is bad, and that there is no guarantees. There are no guarantees of judicial independence. They don't need to go into the nitty-gritties of the Polish judicial system, which is always very complicated and very uncomfortable for the governments. It's enough if they said, "Look, we believe that the CGU is able and." legitimate to assess if there is a judicial independence, and its verdicts should be followed. And I think this is key.
0: So Jana,
1: Piatra started
0: his answer by saying depends on how much political will there is. France and Germany have been leading their criticism of the Polish decision. Um, how much political will is there in those two capitals? How much confidence is there that they can get the EU institutions to, to take the kind of tough line that Piotr is talking about and not find themselves mugged by lots of other member states that uh, that, that don't support this way forward.
2: So let me start with Germany, the country I know far better than France. Um, and also because we just... Uh...
0: Without, a, without a staple government at the moment.
2: No, exactly. That was that. That was what I was aiming at. We just um, elected a new government, and I think we will see a lot of continuity coming out of Germany in the future. But uh, the rule of law um, and the EU is one area where I really expect um, some change, because all the three parties of the likely traffic light uh, coalition—the SPD, the Greens, um, and the Liberal FDP—have uh, clearly stated previously. That they were not satisfied with the way Germany um, was handling this um, and, and Angela Merkel uh, and the CDU, CSU. So the Greens, um, I mean, their whole election program uh, is full of um, emphasizing democracy, rule of law, fundamental rights for citizens. The FDP has clearly said that the um, rule of law mechanism um, needs to be further developed, needs to be strengthened. Katharina Bale from the SPD, the vice president of the European Parliament, already came forward, was very clear, saying we, we cannot let this happen without sanctions. So was the uh, Germany's state minister from the SPD, Michael Roth. So I see all three parties really willing um, to to Be much tougher, and the way uh, Piotr has uh, kind of explained it, or the 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 way forward that that Piotr has uh, shown, I think would would be a good way for the Germans, Um, because of course, from a German perspective, the relationship with Poland is a very important one, a very difficult one, um, and because of uh, the difficult history of. Our countries and the German atrocities done during the Second World War, the relationship um, needs to be handled with care. So I think in the future, uh, also the next German government might be quite reluctant to criticize Poland directly, but it will very much emphasize the superiority um, of European law, of the European Court of Justice, and I think might be more outspoken still when it comes to criticizing Poland directly. And I think actually this is one of the of of Angela Merkel's biggest failures, because she, with her way of dealing with Poland and Hungary, um, let things escalate, because she always wanted to find a compromise. She always thought that, yeah, this can be bridged somehow. And I, I, I think one of the reasons why this escalated so much is because of Germany, because of Germany just being a Bystander or wanting too much to be the honest broker, not willing to take sides. And maybe a word on, on France. I think um, we have also seen very clear positioning coming from, uh, from Clément Bond, who has been um, very critical and outspoken. And maybe th- that is me personally, uh, hoping <laughs> for, for change. But I think that, um, yeah, it will be tougher for, for Poland and also for Hungary um, in the future to carry on.
0: So, Piotr, you've um, uh, you know, been arguing for a long time that the EU institutions should take a, a stronger stance. Lots of polls went out onto the streets to demonstrate against the, the ruling. And so far, the EU hasn't managed to solve the, the political problems within Poland on behalf of the, the Polish people. It's obviously a very polarised country, and a lot of people look to Brussels as a way of solving problems, which... which probably um would be better solved by Polish people voting for governments that want to to follow up EU law. Um can you talk a bit about this dynamic? Because it, it kind of seems on the one hand like the EU could potentially have a really powerful lever if it can withhold you know tens of billions of, of euros. That does seem like a very important uh lever in its hands. At the same time there is always a danger of of simply strengthening the um you know, nationalist governments that are there if the EU is, looks like it's ganging up on people and undermining um, the Polish people. where How are Polish politicians talking about this? Are, are different parties co- actually happy to say that the EU should withhold the money or are they scared it will make them look unpatriotic?
1: No, I think, you know, nobody's calling upon the institution to do so because, of course, there is a um, fear that that it would backfire. But, but I think if, if for them, for those parties uh, domestically. But I think... The- this poll exit scenario which is not likely to happen really not likely to materialize anytime soon has a freezing effect on the uh, on uh, on the EU institutions and EU member states because as long as the europeans believe uh, and the, i think the pis want them to believe that poll exit is is possible as long as they do so they they are they they tend to be um, extremely cautious and uh, tend not to take any decisive steps and i think uh, At this particular moment where, where really not Paul Exit is at stake, but what is at stake is the future of the European legal order and, and the, the position of the Court of Justice European Union. That would be a huge mistake to, to basically do nothing or, or to do, to do too little. And I think that uh, it is uh, from the Polish perspective, the perspective of the Polish debate, it, it it would be also very dangerous to frame this discussion as a, as a uh, conflict between Warsaw and Brussels, or or Brussels and, and Luxembourg, that this is a conflict between the Polish democratically elected government and some technocratic um, institutions in Brussels and Luxembourg, and this is why it is so important to have powerful voices from the capitals, um, I underline, once again, not criticizing Poland in the first place, but uh, strengthening uh, the Court of Justice and clearly stating that an undermining of its position and undermining of the EU law cannot be tolerated. And I I think this is very important that we have also these political messages in in the European debate, and we cannot leave it up only to the decisions of of the Commission and the uh, Court of Justice European Union.
0: So we're running out of time now. Maybe come back to you last time to just say a bit more about what you think uh, is going to happen and when and what people should look out for. Jana, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, so I think um, we need to to watch the European Commission now quite closely, whether the European Commission is now willing to activate the rule of law mechanism immediately Um or how, how this is uh, un- unfolding, if sh- if the commission will be willing to put financial pressure um, on Poland. But I don't know. I mean, I'd, I would be interested to, to hear Piotr on this. But to me, it seems that, I mean, the, the Polish government called for the verdict. Um, they published it already. Um, I mean, they, they would have had opportunities to delay it and to, to, to de-escalate it. Um, but to me, it seems that the Polish government right now is on, on a way to yeah, total escalation. I don't know. What what do you think, Piotr?
1: it is i think this is also a sign of a disorientation within the government and the ruling camp i think we need to remember that the government has an extremely slim majority in the parliament so the kaczyński is no longer as powerful as he was in the past his power is waning and i don't think that that europe should allow to be blackmailed by by this by this government and the constitutional court in poland because i think what we, we what we should uh, look at at the moment are indeed the negotiations about the uh, national recovery plan and and i think the, the implementation of both verdicts from july uh, regarding uh, Polish judiciary should be a precondition full implementation for the for the What's release the of the
0: scale for the release of the money when are there any key decision
1: points. you know the actually the decision should be taken till uh, mid uh, mid-november at the latest mm, and otherwise the the money cannot be released uh, this year and uh, and i mean this is only a part or a small part of the money but the rest the, the money could be released only next year so it already if it if the negotiation prolong, it is already a, a huge problem for the polish government but i think the commission should should uh, define very clearly what are the uh, conditions which need to be met, and and these conditions are are basically um, should be based upon the verdicts of the of the um, Court of Justice European Union. And it's a very it could be a three four points uh, very clear catalogue which needs to be met. And and I think this th- this is really this should be a red line because otherwise we see that that there are many political forces in France in other countries closely watching what happening, what is happening around okay. Poland, and and that c- can be uh, you know. A, a a very powerful lesson for, for Europe in, in both ways. I mean, strengthening pro-European forces or strengthening those who want to undermine the European project.
0: So not just other European countries are watching what's going on, but so is this podcast, The World in 30 Minutes. And we'll come back to you again and talk about it again when we know what happens in November. But I think that's all we got time for today. There's one thing left to do on this podcast, and that is our famous bookshelf segment. What is on your bookshelf, Jana?
2: So I started reading uh, the Bible of the COVID pandemic, I guess. Uh, Colin Carl and um, Thomas Wright, Aftershocks. Pandemic politics and the end of the old international order. Uh, I just started. I hope that I'll finish it uh, next week because I'm on leave. So so far, um, I've, I very much liked it, and uh, yeah, it's about global impact of the pandemic. Um, it's about how um, nationalism and and uh, also global power t- uh, politics prevented the international community from acting decisively. Yeah, it's it's an account of the global impact uh, of of this pandemic and what is likely to come in the future.
1: Okay,
0: what about you, Piotr?
1: You know, as as Merkel's era is coming to to the end, I'm I'm finishing um, her biography written by Ralph Bollmann, journalist of Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung, Angela Merkel, die Kanzlerin und ihre Zeit. A very interesting account of of Merkel's era and and full of uh, interesting observation anecdotes and and a very good read. But also, I I forgot the number the, the name of the author actually. But there is a book with a very intriguing title, uh, "The Age of Unpeace." You know, <laughs> I'm
2: still waiting for my signed copy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, but I definitely want to read it, yes. Me too. Talking of signed copies, we have
0: a um uh last opportunity for people to win a signed copy of the Age of Unpeace, uh because we're doing a special Ask the Author Anything podcast on it and Lots of wonderful questions have been coming in to my email address at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. We will be sending a rare signed copy. You can hear how much they're desired by, <laughs> uh, in Yana's <in> voice. <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, the send to question. Warsaw too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so please write to me at mark.leonard at ecfr.eu. Uh, this episode, a uh, special episode, will go out I think on the 29th of October. So we need it a few days before that if you want to be considered for this uh, for this competition. But in the meantime, we will put links up to all of the publications that were mentioned on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please feel free to give us a positive review and a rating. We like that on whatever platform you use to download the podcast. But for now from Piotr Buras in Warsaw, Jana Pulerin in Berlin, and myself in London, Mark Leonard. It is goodbye. The researcher of this episode is Adam Harrison and our editor is Marlene Riedel.